0: Okay, hello and welcome to this week's Tez podcast. I'm Martin George. I'm joined by John Roberts uh, up in Yorkshire. Hi, John. Hello there. Uh, Ed Doll. Hi, Ed. Hello, hello. And Helena Mass. Hi, Helen. Hello. So we're all sitting in the um, TES recording studio sipping glasses of champagne, aren't we?
1: Hmm.
2: Um, oh, we are, yes. We yes. are,
0: yes. Um, Ed, tell us Why? <laughs>
2: Uh, Theodore Agnew, Lord Agnew, Schools Minister, um, former chairman of the Inspiration Trust, a medium-sized mat in Norfolk, which many people will know is controversial, um, run by another person called Rachel D'Souza. Uh, Theodore Agnew um, became Schools Minister about a year ago um, and had been quite quiet, I would say, largely not exposed to the public or the media yep. until the last two or three weeks and we now know why <laughs> he's yeah. a, he's coming out he's come out cooking on gas and, and he's been lobbying uh sound bites around like they're going out of fashion um memorably because it feels like ages ago but yesterday or to our listeners on wednesday uh he gave a speech at the school and academy show in birmingham uh The speech itself was fairly anodyne by all accounts. Mm. Apparently uh, it had been heavily uh, monitored by his handlers. Uh, But at the moment he was asked a question from the audience, he he let rip. The question was specifically about cuts, uh, funding cuts to school funding. Um, And he said, and I, I can't give you the direct quote, but it was something along the lines of, I will bet any school a bottle of champagne that I can find cost savings in their accounts. Which, from a millionaire businessman and Tory politician to hard-up schools is, let's, let's be honest, tin at best.
0: Yeah, it's got echoes, in fact, of another millionaire politician, Philip Hammond, and those little extras <laughs> for schools. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, it went down like a cup of cold sick.
0: It did, it did. It was what, the week before he'd said that uh, he raised a chance that the DFE's commercial deals for schools were supposed to save them money. He just said, well, maybe they're pants. Maybe that's why <laughs> schools don't use them. Um, he was talking about the colossal waste in, in schools. Um, no wonder he's not yet said yes to a Tez interview.
3: <laughs>
2: <perhaps. laughs> yes, yeah, in case you're listening, um, <laughs> anyone in there. Uh, Sanctuary Buildings, AK, DfE. Um, we would love to interview uh, yep. Lord Agnew. Please. We're still
0: asking. 14 months after he was appointed, we're still asking.
2: Um... Um, I mean, I think the slightly interesting thing was it does come after the um, the other teeny comment about the, the little extras, mm. which I don't think listeners will need me to explain. Um, but it does sort of give away this insight into, de- into the department and this sense, and it's no more than the sense, but this sense... That really, a lot of people in government, at the ministerial level, think schools don't have it that hard. Despite Mm. all the shouting, despite all the union chats, despite the marches, despite the worthless campaign, there are lots of people in the department who don't think things are that bad. I don't think, funnily enough, I don't think that's true of Damien Hines. I think he he gets it. But um, quite a lot of senior Tories don't.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because um, we had a, a YouGov. No, Snipsos Mori poll. this. It's their annual veracity index. And yeah. it asks the public, which professions do you trust the most? Now, teachers came out the... You're know, one of the top... Most trusted top three? Are, yeah, yeah, only yeah. doctors and nurses more trusted. It's 89%. Actually, that level of trust has gone up in the past year mm. when they've been shouting very loudly about school funding. Mm.
2: Yeah.
0: Now... Do the public trust the teachers? Talking about that, or the politicians? Well, the politicians were right at the bottom. Well, second from bottom in that poll. Honestly,
2: I don't think there's any doubt who, who the public are going to trust, and the public are going to trust the teachers who they deal with every day yeah. at the school gates, um, the people they know who live next door. You know, the, the, you know. I think politicians often often forget that there are half a million teachers, and they are in every walk of life, and everybody knows teachers socially. Yeah. And I, th- I think that is forgotten. I think it was forgotten at the last election, which is why they underestimated the importance of um, education funding as an electoral issue. It may be that Tory politicians are the only cohort of people who don't socialise with teachers. <laughs> <Possibly>. <laughs> it's quite believable.
0: Yeah, well, of course, Damien Hines is actually married to a
2: teacher. Yeah, so, we'll so he, he'll
0: get it. He'll yeah. get it. He'll certainly get it. Um, and and uh, stay with that disconnect between um, politicians in Whitehall and classroom teachers. We've had an exclusive YouGov survey looking at what classroom teachers think and feel and uh, John I know you've been um, ploughing through all the findings of this Um, lots of really interesting discussions here about um, why people go into teaching um, how much training they're getting
3: absolutely levels of stress I I think one of the one of the most interesting findings is kind of directly relates to what we were just talking about Um, and that's a vast majority of teachers think that they're not valued by society um, as you said, we had this other poll saying that they are trusted by the public, and in the um, global teaching status index a couple of weeks ago um the u k was quite high nationally in terms of the status of um of teachers but this ugroup poll seems to suggest that although society might think it values teachers, teachers aren't feeling it um I think it's eighty four percent of teachers think they're not not valued by society, which is quite a quite an alarming figure, and I think probably the most surprising of, of some of the negative figures, some of the other stuff that's in there, um, I think is very much what, what people would expect to see, teachers feeling stress, teachers working in schools where budgets have reduced, morale declining. I think these are bleak stats, but they they kind of chime with what we might expect. But uh, I think the fact that teachers themselves don't feel like society values them was the, was one of the things that left out. Another thing to, to flag up as well is that Despite quite a, a string of negative stats, the fact remains that 58% said they were satisfied being a teacher and I think it was 30, 37% were dissatisfied. So despite all these various concerns around workload and stress and funding, the majority of teachers are still satisfied with their job, um, which is an interesting finding in itself.
2: On that point about um, whether they think that society values them, I, ge- I guess that there is that issue which... Goes back to how, where we started at the top of the show, about um, about whether they think of society as the government and government as the society. Do you know what I mean? So the way the way that they're treated by government in the broader sense of the word, yeah, the way the accountability regime impinges on their lives and their professional lives, wh- whether that that is part of their concept of how society values them of course i mean there'll be lots of teachers who who have issues with parents uh, on a day-to-day basis for example which will certainly sully how they think society t- treats them but mm. this sort of perception that they're not trusted is at least partly down to the government i think
3: when i spoke to jeff barton about the findings he said that he thought one of the biggest as you say one of the biggest reasons teachers don't feel valued, is that on teachers' pay, the government demonstrates that to them, um, that that's based, as you say, a direct implication. Because, in a way, I suppose, government decisions are driven by society, or what they think society wants and expects. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing someone said to us is that, that schools don't have a collective identity in the way that, say, the NHS does. Um, that the, the NHS, for example, has had some success in funding, in recent times, around the 70th anniversary and the idea of our NHS and the country you know, being a kind of a collective force for good and perhaps the school sector doesn't quite have that singular identity of the force for good that everyone can lobby behind because in a way individual people's connection with education might be their child's school or their grandchild's school or, or their own experiences of when they were in school and that perhaps one of the, the problems schools have is that people don't think of it as a collective sector I'm not sure if they don't begin that but... You do wonder when you hear politicians talking in the way they have in recent weeks why they don't. De- it seems like they don't fear or or respect the sector in the way they do others.
2: Well, I mean that would be music to the ears of Angela Rayner, won't it? Just it's the that. National Education Service that she talks about. Um, but there, there is definitely there is definitely a disconnect in the way society thinks about. Education and the society thinks about the NHS. you know, i I think I've talked about this before mm. on this podcast There's this odd thing that almost everyone has got a poor experience of, In their lives of the NHS and yet think the NHS is wonderful uh, But conversely a lot of people love their school and, and um, Approval ratings for the local school is always very high and yet they think for some reason the education system as a whole is letting mm. the country down It's really very odd yeah. It's a very odd paradox.
0: What I think, John, in the, in the survey, I think it's worth putting out is cause some of those figures about what makes teachers feel stressed at work. Um,
3: yeah, absolutely. Um, so the the top thing is around workload um, and marking, but then there's also several other significant factors, and one that I left out is um, changes to education policy. I think um, something like four in ten people cited that and school inspection, again, was uh, cited by a lot of people, and behavior management. So, quite a lot of the the things that are stressing teachers out, I suppose, could fall into the accountability system and the way it operates in schools. Um, behavior management is obviously the job, to, to a degree, mm. but even that's driven by, by performance pressures as well. Um, another thing that I found interesting was that um, the YouGov the survey actually breaks down responses by different types of school so, in grammar schools, free schools and independent schools, people were a lot less stressed by inspection than they were in other academies or maintained schools, which I thought was a, an interesting little um, sort of insight.
0: Yeah. I think also there's a split, wasn't the there, between- interesting
3: set of stats is, why do teachers go into teaching? Um, and the overwhelming reason was to, to make a difference to young people's lives and to see them progress and, um, and to achieve, but I, I was quite surprised to see, oh, perhaps I shouldn't have been, but 40% said that holidays was one of the reasons. Now, I know if if I ever said that to any of my (laughs) friends, I would be chastised, but but on the YouGov survey, it comes up as quite a a high factor for why why people go into the profession, which um, I was a little bit surprised to see, to be honest.
2: I, 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 a little bit of insight to that is that there are people who enter the profession later in life, and that one of the reasons they do—and this is nothing to criticise—is the way it maps so easily with childcare. Mm. You know, mm. you know, yeah. and that's mm. not—that's not a negative. That's not like you know, I want twelve weeks off a year. It's saying my kids are having twelve weeks off a year,
1: mm.
2: and therefore it would be very, very handy if I did too. And
1: there's nothing—there's yeah, nothing wrong with that. I'm already having to pay for peak time holidays, so yes, why exactly. not? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, I mean, fascinating stuff. Then there'll be more on our website, you know, to sort of explore in depth. Um, that now, Helen, in the this week's magazine, mm-hmm. um, really interesting piece. Um, Look at, I guess, the the, the uh, reading, which is what we teach children, mm-hmm. versus teaching them comprehension.
1: Yeah, so um, this is uh, a piece that's been written by uh, Jesse Ricketts, who's Director of uh, Language and Reading Acquisition Lab at Royal Holloway University, and Megan Dixon, who's Director of uh, Literacy at the Aspire Educational Trust. Um, and they have been uh, reviewing uh, a lot of the research into uh, how we teach reading. Um, and what they found is that, that because of um, the, the focus of um, a lot of the research Uh, and not just the research the policy around teaching reading we've been very focused on teaching words and sort of um, you know phonics and um, being able to read out loud and that kind of thing that we've not focused enough on understanding the meaning of texts um, and that that's kind of letting down the pupils that um, that, that teachers are working with because um, they're, they're kind of leaving school without this really important component of, of being able to read
0: So these kids who can, you know, can, can read perfectly mm-hmm. the words on the page, yeah. sound them out and all of this, yeah. but actually
1: But if you ask them questions about that text once fin- you know, they might read it very fluently and appear to be a very fluent reader but if you ask them what the text was about they then can't tell you because they haven't actually uh, you know, um, been able to interpret the meaning from it because they don't have that set of skills
2: this is a sort of time-honored critique of phonics right
1: it is yes yeah um, and so and this is just kind of um it's, it's not specifically targeted at phonics the piece it's looking at the research in general um and it's saying that you know the research itself isn't has, has, has been focused on that kind of uh you know learning to read the words rather than learning to read the meaning um, and that's perhaps something we need to change,
2: because there are those, aren't there, who who critique phonics um, by saying, while it it appears on one level to to be a great leveler mm-hmm. in terms of the deprivation divide mm-hmm. gap, because it is extremely good at teaching reading in the purest sense of the word, and in kids who start school. From a lower level catch up quite quickly or can catch up quite quickly,, yep. but equally the comprehension, which is another issue that kids from deprived backgrounds mm. suffer from,
1: mm-hmm.
2: isn't implicit in phonics,
1: no. Also. And a lot of it relies on things, skills like inference uh, yeah. and, you know, making sort of uh, broader connections with different subjects and things like that, which, again, um, students with sort of lower cut cultural capital, for example, won't be a- able to do as easily. Um, and interestingly, the uh, Tez English podcast, which has is, is also come out today, uh, this week, is about reading as well and about how, um, you know there are still students in the system who are leaving primary school and going into secondary school not able to read confidently and then that is sort of never getting properly addressed because by the time they get into secondary school you know the teaching has moved on to different things and um, unless they get the right interventions they can end up leaving school not able to read confidently at all. Um, and, you know, that that then really affects their life life chances oh because there, yeah. it's such a, a crucial skill, you know, just for sort of meeting, reading a medicine bottle, for example, yeah. you know, so.
2: As soon as we're finished in this podcast, I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to get on with building the concrete bunker around the building <laughs> because <laughs> I think we've made an incredibly brave decision to intervene in the reading wars. Oh, uh, yes. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we we uh, we discussed home education. And, uh, did this you week, did I get a few emails about that? Oh, I yeah, heard. a few emails about that. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, and the, and this week we're tackling phonics. Wow, oh, yes. here we go! Yeah, uh, all, all the touch points of education in the All Weekly podcast. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I guess a final point mm. from the article. I
0: mean, yeah. it's clear that there needs to be more research. Yes. on this. Yes. but, but while we're waiting for that research, I mean, are there things we could be looking at, thinking of? Yeah,
1: I mean, so they they sort of um, uh, raise some ideas, uh, and they do admit that there needs to be more research around it. But but things like supporting students to make links between subjects uh, and teaching the comprehension of reading across subjects is uh, one strategy that can help. Um, and and also a key part of it is getting better at identifying those who struggle. Mm. Um, so you know, because a child can read fluently that quite often masks the fact that, that they're not comprehending as well as they should be. Um, and so if we can do more to sort of identify and and intervene with those students, then that's going to help the problem as well.
0: Fantastic. Well, I think my champagne has run out now, so it's probably time well, to end the podcast. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you all next week. Thanks very much. Cheers.
1: Thank you.